The message is entitled, The Apostle Bartholomew. Bartholomew, when you think of the apostles, that's not really a name that comes to your mind right away. In studying the various characters of the Bible, you recognize the great diversity of people that God uses for his glory. Um, This is so evident in our study of the 12 apostles, for they are as different as one man's fingerprint to another. None are alike. The key is in allowing God to use us as we are and who we are, our own personalities. They are unique in trade and our talents that he's given to us, the gifts that he will use by the Spirit of God as we come to him and the transforming work of the Spirit of God on an ongoing basis. And that's one of the freeing things when you come to the Lord. You, have, you don't have to keep acting in your life. You don't have to have a personality for your friends, your male friends, your girlfriend, your this and that, and the work and this and that. You can just be yourself. And you, as you're yourself, then God can yield through you and they will see Christ Jesus. They know who you were. And that's what's going to blow their mind. That, that, that change, that transformation. There's some people that you will reach I will never be able to reach. Some people that will be open to you that would never be open to me. And vice versa. So we come to Bartholomew, the sixth apostle. In the order of Matthew, of course, we're following Matthew 10, verse 3. And um, we want to look at him through a threefold vantage point. First again, the character of Bartholomew we'll start with. Secondly, the communication to Bartholomew. And third and last, the conversion of Bartholomew. The character of Bartholomew. Character is everything. It's who you are, not who people think you are. Not who you think you are. It's who you are at heart. The name Bartholomew appears only four times in the New Testament. His name appears three times in the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew 10, 3 here in the listing. Mark 3, 18 and Luke 6, 14. Um, All three are lists of the 12 apostles. The appearance of his name is always the second in the second group of four apostles, as we noted a few times already, of the different groups of fours. Philip being the leader of the second group of four, and the second group being less intimate in fellowship with Jesus. And again, the caution is that we don't think that Jesus is a respecter of persons. God knows, and he knows exactly who needs the more time and why and the his purposes, and the same with you and us. And that's one thing as a Christian, when you come to Christ, you're always in the world envious of, oh, those guys, they don't want to hang me, and they don't want me in the group, and this and that. And they, you know. Once you're a Christian, some of you guys have some party, you don't invite me, shame on you. I don't worry about that. I can't be everywhere. Even on staff night, if you rest in the Lord, you don't worry about all that carnal junk. All that stuff just destroys people. Amazing. Now the second group being less intimate in their fellowship with Jesus again. The first four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, being the most intimate of the twelve. But again, God is making these choices based on his wisdom, his sovereignty. 
The Apostle Bartholomew is joined with Philip in all three lists of the synoptics, perhaps an indication of their co-labor, as we mentioned, with Philip, as Jesus sent them out, perhaps, two by two. Now, his name appears only once in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, verse 13. His name is preceded by Philip in the three synoptic gospels in the list of the twelve. In Matthew, Thomas follows Bartholomew, then Matthew. In Mark and Luke, Matthew follows Bartholomew, then Thomas. Now, his name in Acts changes order, and Thomas comes second after Philip, Bartholomew third, then Matthew there in that one passage of Acts 1.13. Three of the four lists have Bartholomew follow Philip. And three of the four lists have Matthew following Bartholomew. So as you look at all these, there are certain consistencies that don't change, certain groupings, but the order sometimes does. Whether this indicates a change of order of importance, we don't know. Though it's interesting that he is not found anywhere after Pentecost in the book of Acts. Uh, We hear nothing more of him. Now, Bartholomew is known by another name. Um, Six times uh, in the Gospel of John. John gives us great information that we don't get anywhere else. Um, The two events recorded are at the start at the end of the ministry of our Lord. Uh, In John chapter 1, verse 45 down to 51, we get this information. Um, the first five times his name is Nathaniel in the context of his conversion and call. So that's his other name, Nathaniel. Bartholomew and Nathaniel are the same person. The sixth and last time is when Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together with Peter um, when he said he was going to go fishing And they said in John 21, 2 and 3, we're going with you. Now, the appearance of Nathaniel at the start and at the end only confirms his apostleship. The most common explanation is that only rational one, which is the custom of having a double name, even as the case of when we study Labias, whose surname is Thaddeus in Mark 10.3. And we've gone through this. Sometimes they have a Greek name and a Hebrew name, and then they have other names also sometimes. And so the treasure chest is John's gospel, as we see, where we get all that we know about Bartholomew or Nathaniel in order to get the picture of this man. Now, the extent of speculation is great, and you have to be careful. This is where you have to do the study of your own, uh, of the Word of God. Get in there, cross-reference it, look at it, examine it, make your little charts and all that. And then when you go to the commentary, and this commentator says, yeah, he was a cousin of Jesus. Now you put a big circle and a slash said no. Now you're able to judge the commentator. You're able to evaluate whether his observation or declaration is biblical or not. So you've got a lot of 
speculative opinions from the fact that he was the groom at the marriage of Canaan to being one of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Could have been a man on the moon. All these things mean nothing. But I am amazed how prone we are to remember and to use false information more than accurate information. (laughs) It's our bent. Sin nature. The man is distinct from all other 11 apostles. Now the name Bartholomew means son of Telmai uh, in the Greek. Uh, it consists of two words. Bar, meaning son, as we've seen before, and Telmai, which means house of Naphtali, really identifying his family, even as Simon Bar-Jonah in Matthew sixteen seventeen for Peter. Now, the name Nathaniel means gift of God, beautiful name, uh, chosen sovereignty by God, to be one of the 12 apostles, as we're seeing. Um, the fact that Jesus had so many to choose from, and yet he chose these, um, is an amazing thing. And yet, th- there is a tendency to be proudful in many different ways through life when things happen like this. And we always want to think of ourselves as uh, exceptional and, and, and beyond others. And though there is a difference in performance and and abilities and all that, and we don't deny that, the problem is that we use that to exalt ourselves and to put others down. That's the sinful aspect of our character and nature as uh, um, not being believers in Christ. Um, Nathaniel, or Bartholomew here, uh, was chosen sovereignly by God, and he was chosen again after an entire night in prayer. It wasn't something that Jesus just said, okay, let's see here, the crowd, how many, are, okay, you, you, you. No, no, not you, you, no. An entire night in prayer. Um, in Luke 6, 12 through 13. And he chose uh, Nathaniel to appear um, to him after the resurrection in John 21, 1 through 14. He chose him to be sent out to preach the gospel by the Great Commission. And... Um, to those that are lost, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Uh, that great commission is given to all of us. Um, again, it's a, um, um, a preposition. In other words, in you're going, when you go, as you're going. There was never any doubt of not going. Um, missions begins uh, the first step out of this church, uh, outside. And yet I still do missions always turn into the non-believer towards the end. Because we never know who's listening, who's present, or stuff like that always giving opportunity for people to repent and call upon the Lord. Now, the heart of it is that he chosen to study his word because that's what a disciple is and an apostle's one sent out. And if you're going to be sent out, you've got to have a message, okay? Uh, you remember there was two guys that wanted to run when David was out there, Hushai, and he went, oh, let me run, let me run. And he finds out, okay, run. He gets down, he had no message. A lot of people run, but they have no message. What's your message? Do you know the word of God? Are you able to give people the right answers? Very important. Now, the home of Bartholomew or Nathaniel was Cana. And Cana was uh, Nathaniel's birthplace by John uh, 21, 2 tells us. And um, Cana means um, 
uh, reedy or a place of reed. And Cana was a town in Galilee near Capernaum, down the north um, western shore towards the top there. Cana was where Jesus did his first miracle by turning um, water into wine in the second chapter of John, verse 1 through 11, at that marriage. Cana is the place where the Lord told the nobleman of Capernaum to go home for his son would live. And his servant um, met him on the way and confirmed the healing in John four forty six. Cana is not mentioned in the Old Testament, but it has been identified with the modern Cana uh, el Jalil, also called Corbed Cana, a place eight to nine miles northwest of Nazareth. Others have identified it with Kafur Kane, which lies in the direct road to the Sea of Galilee. This is probably the most favorable one, about five miles northeast of Nazareth, about 12 in direction course from Tiberias. And so remember all this region, that's where Jesus spent the majority of his time up in the Galilee, um, three quarters of his ministry. And then uh, as he began um, to go down to Jerusalem six months under the shadow of the cross. It is called Cana of Galilee to distinguish it from Cana of Asher in the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 19, verse 28. So you will have these names in the context and the book uh, is important at the time that it's mentioned. Um, Have you ever heard of the name Jabez? He's like Bartholomew. He's not known by most Christians, perhaps even pastors who study the Bible. He's easy to miss, but uh, it would be to our loss. He's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. Let me read you that passage right there. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, and this is prayer, all that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. What an incredible prayer request by this man that is mentioned only one time. Now, the prayer of Jabez 10 years ago, 15 years ago, was put in a little book form completely out of context for, for positive confession, stuff like that. Even Greg Laurie endorsed it, which I don't know what the heck he's thinking. Crazy stuff. Now, the actual record and context were an incredible prayer. But people take it out of context and turn it into something cultural, right? Wow. There are many um, individuals in the Old and New Testament that we know we're very um, little about. Um, There's just not much information as well as here on earth. But what we will learn about them in heaven for all eternity will astonish us. Can you imagine talking to Enoch in Genesis 5 and ask him about that time and his translation? (laughs) How about Noah? Interesting accounts he would have, right? But equally, there are many individuals on earth 
in generations past as well as the present ones, um, our own lives. We know very little about some people, but they're so faithful to God, and when we meet them up there, we're going to blow our minds. They will never write a book, never speak to a large cloud, never have their name mentioned on the radio or newspaper or anything else, and yet um, when we get to heaven, we're going to be very impressed over their life. There are many on this earth, though they are in some form of inner circle. They're not the center of attention or even on demand by those that stand in other inner circles. Uh, these are men that understand who they are. They understand that they are what they are by the grace of God. And they really don't call much attention to themselves. And they constantly guard themselves against that and warn people against that. And that's good. It's a necessary guard every day of our life. You may at times feel um, insignificant. Yet God is very interested in you. Because you're a child of God, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. You're a dear child of God. And though he may deal with you differently, it doesn't mean that he favors others before you. You need to take time to hang out with Jesus in order to be rich in him, that he be able to lead you and guide you as you're in that intimate fellowship with him. As Paul said in Philippians 3, 10 through 11, that you want to, he wanted to know him and the, um, and the sufferings, um, power of the resurrection, uh, that intimate walk. You and I should be um, excited to come to church every Sunday, midweek, any other time, for one reason alone. It is not to see if your pastor can bring about another interesting or great sermon. It's not to see if um, the church can meet your need. It's not because your church is one of the biggest or the most popular or anything else. The only reason you should be excited about coming to church is to hear the voice of God, to speak to you through the word of God about your spiritual life. The only reason. Wow. So many people go to church for so many different things today. You look at the size of the parking lot. Well, we, we, we strike out there. We look at the number of restrooms you have. We really strike out there. The number of people, we're blessed that we have one. What a privilege that one of you would come and hear the word of God. And so people go to church for many different things and go look for a wife, look for a husband, just to hang out, just to be with a lot of people. A lot of lonely people go to church. Many different reasons. The character of Bartholomew was not the most popular. <laughs> Notice, secondly, comes the communication to Bartholomew. Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, um, was sought out by Philip to communicate the message of the gospel. Once again, John, chapter 1, verse 45, um, gives us information. Um, 
in that whole passage there. Philip was found by Jesus, as we have seen in John 1, 43. Jesus called Philip to follow him, and Jesus saw him respond without any hesitation or procrastination. Philip decided to find Nathaniel in verse 45, one of his close friends. Philip is like Andrew, seeking to bring others to Jesus. Nathaniel, remember, is the same person as Bartholomew. Nathaniel was told by Philip in verse 45 of John 1 that they had found him whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about. Philip and others, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, were students of the word. They're, they're, they're using vocabulary that shows they are students of the word. The implication being Nathaniel was also a student of the word. Nathaniel was obeying the commands of the law back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9, Joshua 1 8. Meditate on the word of God day and night. You should be prosperous, have good success. Everywhere your foot treads shall be yours. He knew the word. Remember, they didn't have no New Testament. They only have Genesis to, to Malachi, okay? Nathaniel had a hunger for God and the things of God. Nathaniel was guided, notice, by the truth of God's word, not the trends of the day. This is always the snare and the danger of believers. If they don't stay grounded in the word of God, they will be taken in by the current of the culture or the latest thing or the niftiest little thing or the most popular thing. This is not only in the culture for the gospel that gets corrupted, but for everything else that goes on, whether it be political, educational, whatever it is. It's the latest craze, right? The Pharisees and scribes were prejudiced towards Jesus because he was not educated in their schools. So they missed their Messiah. There are men who have PhDs. They're sought out by the higher education of the world, even in the Christian community. But many of them miss the Messiah. They fault the word of God. Amazing to me. Nathaniel, therefore, must have also been looking and searching as they had. Nathaniel believed the promises of God, anticipating the Messiah. Isaiah seven fourteen: Behold, a virgin shall bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He knew Genesis three fifteen, the seed of the woman. He knew Micah five two to be born in Bethlehem. He knew, and he had friends and people that were also of like mind. You've heard of the. Same birds of a feather flock together, right? It's just the way it is. Nathaniel was told by Philip with certainty about having found God. Moses in the law prophesied about the 
prophet to come, the Messiah, whose words all would be accountable for in Deuteronomy 15, verse 15 through 19. Many prophets came, but the prophet. Daniel, the prophet, gave the very day of the Messiah's first coming from the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem in troublous times in Daniel 9, 24 down to 26. Nathaniel was told plainly by Philip, Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah there in, here in John 1, 45. Notice that. God had been faithful to his promise to Adam and Eve, the seed of the woman. The Messiah had come. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, Mary. First chapter of Matthew. God had become man. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was of God, and God was the Word. And the Word became flesh, would be held as glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 1 and 1, 14. Wow. God had done it. Right according to prophetic time, Galatians 4, 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son made of a woman under the law. God gave Jesus his human name through the angel Gabriel, Jesus, which means Yahweh is salvation. Joshua is the contraction of Yahweh Yeshua, Yahweh is salvation. Hebrew, Joshua. Greek, Jesus. Same thing. Jesus was from Nazareth. At the time that he began his ministry, as you know, but his place of origin, of birth, was Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. O Ephrata, small among all the others around him, but chosen by God. Jesus was the son of Joseph by name, but not by conception. Again, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he submitted himself in obedience for 30 years, Matthew 1, 18 and 20 tells us to his parents, like any other child. Now, Nathaniel, in John here, 146, questioned Philip's assessment. Um, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel was a skeptic at first, as well as a bit Prejudice, like we saw Philip. Nazareth was not a very reputable place, as you know. Nazareth was not the most cultural region of the land. Nazareth was on the fringes of Gentile life, identified with trouble. You see, Nathaniel was still searching and examining for himself. It's always good. He was not a mere follower. He was a Berean in Acts 17.11. To hear and examine to find out if those things are so. I am amazed of the Christian community, how they just swallow hook, line, and sinker without any examination. I'm amazed that men and women would sit in congregations that teach absolute heresy. And it goes right over their head. Or tolerate things that are said over the pulpit that are so unscriptural. 
ว้าวนัทแอนเนียวสิมเพลย์อินไวเดอร์บายฟิลิปที่ซีฟอร์เอมเซลฟ์เวอร์ฟอร์ดิซีส์คัมและซีนับไบเบิลสโตสิมเพลย์มอนอสโอลาบิกแม่ชาวคนได้รู้สึกได้ฟังคำพูดคำพูดที่ไม่ใช่คำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดของพระเจ้าคือคำพูดที่ใหญ่ที่สุดHe could have been offended by his doubts. He could have just been indifferent. He instead gave a caring invitation to come to have his own assessment, and that's what we do when we give people an opportunity. We share the word of God so that they can make that decision for themselves. We're praying. We're hoping. We're asking God to intercede. But bottom line is, it's up to the individual. Um, You guys, some of you guys know Pete Gonzalez, um, and I just got word from him from the hospital. He's uh, um, keeping him in prayer. They're going to have to probably amputate the tip of his toe, but thank God not the whole toe, and just keep him in prayer tomorrow. They should do it. But um, but Pete used to be back there. He hated me. His wife was here telling me come here, and he he'd hear me, and boy, he hated me. He is the greatest servant in the world. <laughs> God's the only one that can change the heart of people. You know what I mean? Opened his eyes. It's an amazing thing, and I've seen it through the years, over and over and over again. It's just an amazing thing what God does. You can't convince anybody. All I can do is tick you off. I can't convict you. If I can do anything, I can tick you off. Trust me. Um, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well. Nathaniel, like all who came searching with a genuine heart, that's the key. He would not be disappointed. Then there are many people that come here and they're skeptic, but they come being a skeptic without being open. When you come and you're open to what you're going to hear, and you're open to God, not to me. Then God will do a work, because it's the power of God's word, not the man. Very, very important. Seeing one's need of forgiveness, seeing one's need of transformation. This applies to every person. It must be decided by every person. It will affect every person's eternity. No one's exempt. The demoniac, remember, wanted to go with Jesus after he was delivered. In Mark chapter five, verse eighteen through twenty, he says that when he got into the boat, he who had been demon possessed begged them that he might um, be with him. However, Jesus did not permit it, but said to him, "Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how." He has had compassion on you, and he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the ten city of the Gentiles, all that Jesus had done for him, and all marvelled. What did I do when I first got born again? I told my friends, people I worked with, people I hung out, 
people with my brother and I used to teach my Kung Fu students and, and, and over Jimmy's and everything else. We just, we told people. And from there, just a circle and large and all that. that you, you, you can't keep quiet. All of a sudden, your sins are forgiven. All of a sudden, you've got eternal life. All of a sudden, you know that God came to die personally for you and He's the only one that can forgive your sin. And you're going to keep it to yourself. You're going to bury it. It's like saying you find a cure for cancer and you don't tell anybody. Wow. Those closer to us are to be our top priority, of course, for sharing the good news of the gospel. Uh, in Matthew, not Matthew, but Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 down to 6, 4, it deals with the family. Mother, father, brother, sister. The extension of the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, the friends, the strangers. It just a circle goes out, right? And whoever God opens up the door. Sometimes you may be at the store, you're in a hurry, ladies. Or gentlemen, and all of a sudden you've got your little list, what you want to do, and, and all of a sudden you run into this person, and by the conversation you know that you know God wants you to share, but you know you've got to go somewhere, right? And you've got to do this, and you just, you've got to make a decision, right? Are you open to God's interruptions? Who runs your life? You or God? It can happen after a while as Christians. The best thing to do often is to invite them to church. And God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in Second uh, Peter 3, 9. But again, people say, well, if God wants everybody to say, why aren't they say? Because God doesn't force anybody. Simple. Any of you ladies here got forced by your husband to marry you? Please stand up. It just doesn't happen. Invite them to church so they can see the diversity of the people, the ages, all together. All that goes on. So they can see the people of God worshiping in one accord. So they can see people. Some with suits, some in shorts. Some with tattoos, some not. All people that God has forgiven and saved and born again and have a common denominator. Jesus is Lord, worshiping him. So they can hear the word of God, that they might be convicted of their sin and see their need to be saved. So they can observe people in their love for the Lord and each other on a down-to-earth level, not something hypocritical, not something that's phony. All this will remove many of the false conceptions about the church and Christianity which they have had or that they use against Christianity. The gospel is open for examination by all who come and see whether the things declared are true or not. They are challenged to examine them. Prophecies that have been fulfilled are staggering. They have to deal with that. The many details which increases the chance of probability. The genealogies that are easy to make mistakes. The specific name and locations that can be cross-referenced. All these things they have to deal with. The evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that if you took it to a, uh, a courtroom today, well, I don't know today, um, 
but uh, the evidence would win out. Today, anything can happen. Today, you're guilty before um, um, you go to court. It used to be you're presumed innocent until proven guilty, and the burden is on the accuser, not the one accused. But we've seen right now that's not the case, right? Everything's turned around. So it is a scary time we're living in. Not for God, though. <laughs> Only for us. The central person of Jesus is like a red thread from Genesis to Revelation. You can't miss it. You just can't. So the communication to Bartholomew was the gospel message. That's it. Third comes the communication. Or the conversion, I'm sorry, the conversion of Bartholomew. Um, Nathaniel, or Bartholomew's heart, was revealed. Um, here again, John helps us in chapter 1, verse 47 and 48. Nathaniel uh, took the invitation of going and seeing for himself seriously, and Jesus saw him coming to him. He was invited. He took up the invitation. There are people you invite. They say, yeah, I'll go. You call my I can't. That's not. You let it go. They'll get mad. Continue to pray. You invite next time. He exercises free will to choose. Nathaniel there in 47 was declared to be a good moral man by Jesus. Behold, and an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. O King James, guile. The reference to having no guile means he was not one ruled by deceitfulness or corruption as was the order of the day for many Jews being hypocritical. He's like Esther. He's like uh, uh, Deborah and many who have lived in corrupt periods of time, but they were faithful to God. Remember that Jacob, the deceiver of deceivers, his name was changed from surplanter Caniver, Jacob, to Israel. God prevails or governed by God. No longer under his own rule or life. And this is what God wants. He wants to change our nature. He wants to give us a divine nature. The declaration marked the man living in the midst of corruption. But walking in uprightness before his maker. A practice that does not escape the attention of God. Very important. Not all that are Israel are true Israel. Remember, Paul says that to the Romans. Okay? Just because um, you were born an Israelite and you have Jewish parents doesn't mean that you're true Israel. All right? The need of Nathaniel, nevertheless, was very simple. Here it is. To be saved. That's it. To be saved. Good moral people are, like, are sinners. By nature, they need to be saved. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, dead in trespasses and sins. Now, that offends mankind. You may be hearing or through the Internet or here, and you may be a very ethical, moral person and upright in character, and this offends you. Um, but um, I guarantee you that your parents never had to teach you to lie or get revenge or anything like that. It comes natural. Okay? And even if you withheld it for a while, it's in your heart. You know you. You, you live with you. It's just the way it is. 
There is none righteous, no, not one, who understands, none who seeks after God, Romans 3, 10, and 11. Often this is something you hear all the time. People go, oh yeah, I, I, oh, how, how, how long have you been a Christian? Well, I've, I've loved God all my life. Liar. The Bible says you're an enemy of God. The Bible says that you hate God. Not God after your likeness, your, your way that you form your God, but the God of the Bible? Mm-mm. He's looking for you. You're not looking for him. He initiates. We respond. The declaration marks a man living under corruption, remember? So, remember, he is revealed as being prejudiced regarding Nazareth. Though he's upright, some things are pointed out. None of Nathaniel's question the validity of the assessment of Jesus about his person. Notice in verse 48, as he had of Philip's assessment of Jesus. Nathaniel said to Jesus, how do you know me? Nathaniel was told by Jesus before Philip called you. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That'll freak you out. Fig trees were a place of rest and meditation on God's word and prayer in the Jewish culture. Because fig trees were the sign of the blessing of God in the future kingdom. Hebrews 2.17, and you look at it through the minor prophets, it's all there. Now notice in verse 49 here of John 1, Nathaniel's confession was uh, proclaimed. Nathaniel immediately answered and called Jesus rabbi. It was used of Jewish teachers, the head person. The use of it towards Jesus was more than in a normal human sense by what he qualifies it with. Notice, Nathaniel confessed Jesus as his teacher about the things of God. Nathaniel said, you are the son of God. This title is not a casual, careless declaration or proclamation. The title was understood to be the fulfillment of God becoming man. To deliver Israel. To save the world. Isaiah 64.1 prayed, Oh, that God would rent the heavens, tear them open, that he would come down. God says, 700 years, I'll be there. Isaiah. <laughs> oh, where did that prayer come from? <laughs> prayer begins with God, ladies and gentlemen. As I seek him, he moves in me. Moses said, if you can't forgive their sin, blot my name out of the book of life. Where would that prayer come from? Do you think Moses was more compassionate than God? <laughs> God moved through the heart of Moses to ask God what he wanted to do all along. Amazing thing. The title was a confession about the end of his personal search for his Messiah. He had arrived to forgive him 
Nathaniel said, you are the king of Israel. The title confessed that Jesus was the rightful heir of the throne of David to rule and to reign over Israel. The title confessed his own personal surrender to Jesus as his Lord and Savior to rule over his life in full authority. Now stop and think about that. You did the same thing and so did I. But we kind of just renege at times, don't we? Whenever we get selfish and self-absorbed. But when you repented of your sins, you gave your life to God. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Your body is the temple of God. Not a vehicle or instrument to do whatever you want. So really, uh, when he called you to the cross, it's a call to death, right? And so we have to remember that, always. Nathaniel is a sharp contrast to Philip. Philip was very rational and calculating and prejudiced. Nathaniel was full of faith, meditating on the things of God, willing to come and to see. Philip, after three and a half years, said that Jesus shows the Father and it suffices, as we saw last week in John 14, 8. Nathaniel said to Jesus the first time he came to him, you are the Son of God, in John 1, 49. different and distinct. Philip was practical, seizing up everything by what he saw, sizing it up. He saw with slow understanding. Nathaniel was a man of prayer, a seeker of truth, honest, open to truth, and willing to trust God. So we're different in personality and character, and we start different, and we process it different, but again, we don't compare ourselves among ourselves, lest we be unwise, but our comparison is to Jesus Christ. It's important. And so yet God used them both of these men as they yielded to him in their own way. Now notice in verse 50 and 51 here of John 1, Nathaniel's call was announced. In verse 50, Nathaniel's call of faith would not be disappointing. Jesus honored Nathaniel's faith in coming to him by saying, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Jesus told Nathaniel, his life of faith would pay off in the future by saying, you will see greater things than these. Wow. Nathaniel's call declared he would see the fulfillment of Jacob's dream by declaring, most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God Ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Verse 51. Now Nathaniel was told by Jesus what he was reading and meditating under the fig tree already. Pointing back to Genesis 28, 10 through 19. Jacob's dream there. Nathaniel was meditating on the passage of Scripture in Genesis where Jacob had a dream. And remember when he fled from his brother Esau? And he saw a ladder led down from heaven to the earth, angels ascending, descending. And God promised to bless him and bring him back wealthy and safe. There in chapter 28. Nathaniel was to be assured that Jesus was the God who had descended and blessed man through salvation. 
He's the one. Now, this is not speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration, for it was witnessed only by Peter, James, and John. The only other possibility is the ascension of Jesus on the Mount of Olives to heaven. Where the angel appeared to rebuke the disciples gazing up to heaven and promised that he would return in like manner as he left in chapter 1 of Acts, verse 9 through 11. Nathaniel, Bartholomew, was there. Ascending. Wow. Nathaniel was at Galilee and he saw the risen Lord. Once again to be commissioned in the Great Commission. There in John chapter 21, verse 1 through 14, he's listed again in Acts as we said at the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 13. Yet he's not mentioned as we said in the rest of the book of Acts. Tradition tells us that he was a, a missionary to various countries and explains his death in different ways. Eusebius reports that he um, preached the gospel in India and left behind the gospel of Matthew in the actual Hebrew characters. Again, these are records of that are not inspired. Some are accurate as we can confirm them. Others... We don't know. Armenia, Phrygia, Lyconia, Mesopotamia, and Persia also have been claimed as scenes of his labor. He is said to have evangelized with Philip and Thomas. And so, as I said in the opening, uh, there are many things that we're going to be um, blown away when we get to heaven. Nicodemus came with an open heart. Searching and was not disappointed, but in fact was given the very requirements of the new birth to enter heaven in John 3. You must be born again or you will never enter the kingdom of God. This is not the specific and special standard of Calvary Chapel Pasadena. This is the unique standard for the gospel. For everyone who calls himself a Christian, you must be born again and you will never see the kingdom of God. And the evidence that you're born again is that God changes and transforms your life. And you agree with his word and you live out his word. The two become one. No double vision, one. All men and women who come to Jesus of their own will... will have legitimate doubts. People come with many doubts. God doesn't throw you away, push you away, or deny you. He welcomes them. As Nathaniel, you search out. Jesus, come unto me, you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. How many things think back of the things that you at first as a Christian, of course, you didn't have all the answers to everything, Right? evolution, this, that, everything else. And then as you start learning the word of God, you realize how dumb things that you believe, right? They were exalted in the world. Now you go, man, I was a dummy. How could I ever believe that? And things that you know for certain, this is God's objective truth. This is absolutely truth. And most incredible truth. Listen, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
It's done. That's it. You don't need 20 different schools on how the world started. Saves you a lot of homework. Which is no homework at all. (laughs) They're excuses to reject God. Having a clear understanding of who Jesus is. And having a clear understanding that Jesus knows everything about you. And he still loves you. That is incredible recognition. When you come to understand that he knows everything. Even the thoughts before you get your thoughts. Psalm 139 says. And he still loves you. There's no one on earth that loves you like God. Not your wife. Not your husband. Nobody. Wow. Every person must confess Jesus as their own Lord and Savior before man is Nathaniel. Matthew ten twelve speaks about that confession. Um, those of you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. You deny me, I will deny you. It's just real simple. Okay? There's no big academic uh, exposition has to be done on that. It's just straightforward. He's the Son of God who died for me. Uh, he died in my place, the propitiation for my sins in 1 John 2 2. Do I believe that? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7. He died, uh, he tasted death for me. Do I believe that? He's the one who reigns and rules in my life now. Do I believe that? He's the one who teaches me all things through the Holy Spirit. Do I believe that? Conversion through the spiritual birth of any person is the work of God, much like Nathaniel's, exactly. Uh, Titus um, 3.15 speaks of the regeneration of the spirit that does that work in us. The word is proclaimed by an individual, the good news of the gospel. The fact of one's lost condition and spiritual deadness is the foundation of truths that God reveals and unveils to us individually if we're open, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. The fact that Jesus became sin in my place, that I might become the righteousness of God in Him, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. What an amazing truth. What a swap. I get all the benefit. The fact that the person's conviction must come by the Holy Spirit through the gospel to be made alive, faith being activated, yielding the heart, not merely sorrow for the consequences, but genuine repentance, seeing sin against God first, then with people and against people. The vertical is the most important. And therefore, genuine repentance, as Paul describes in Second Corinthians chapter 7, 9 and 10. And so the conversion of a person is always a call of God by faith to see the things of God in a greater measure, much like Nathaniel. The very birth of the believer implies growth, going from babe to mature adulthood. We understand that process by our own life and that of our children and the human race. The parables often focus on increased stewardship of faithful service in faith. The promise is that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God prepared for those who love him. And that's not for when you die. That's for here and now. 
looking back to 1973 when I accepted the Lord, um, I could never imagine what God would do in my life. No inkling. It just blows you away. If you can look at your life, if it has turned out exactly the way you want it, God's not in it. If your life has not turned out the way you planned it, good chance God's in it. Absolutely good chance he's in it. As you heard the saying that a Bible that's not falling apart usually belongs to a person who is. And the Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. What is your life founded on? What do you chew on? What do you meditate on? What is the desire of your heart? Now, I'm not excluding the warfare, the distract. That's all part of it. But you stay focused. You stay on track. So the conversion of Bartholomew was the work of God. Work of God. This is Bartholomew, the sixth apostle from the three vantage points. The character, Bartholomew, was not the most popular. The communication to Bartholomew was the gospel message. And the conversion of Bartholomew was the work of God. Simple truths, but powerful truths that affect our eternity, ladies and gentlemen. Father, we thank you. We worship you. We thank you for your grace, your love. We pray, Lord, you deal with our hearts even now. Father, those that are over the internet, those that are here, we pray, Lord, that you would just deal with our hearts, Lord. And Father, we thank you for your word and your love for us, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Jesus took your place. Jesus paid the price. Jesus did it because he loves you. He has nothing to gain from you. He wants nothing from you. He wants everything for you by his grace. And so if you're here or over the internet, if you want to be born again, repent of your sins, this is a simple prayer, right where you sit. And he's going to forgive you and save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.